0: Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach the word today. The first time that I ever preached, I was a, I was a freshman in college, and my university gave the opportunity for folks to, a handful of us, to go off to the local Southern Baptist local associations, and they would drop us off. Pastors would come and get us, never having seen us before, no clue who we were, and open up their pulpits to us on a Sunday night, which uh, was quite brave. And the the first time I ever preached, it was a a church, West Tennessee, First Baptist, Dresden, Tennessee. And I was sitting in the pastor's office. He gave me his office to kind of get my thoughts together and prepare. And as I'm getting ready to preach, I mean, it's just minutes away, the power in the entire building cuts off. I mean, just completely gone. I'm not one for looking for signs in the world around me. But knowing the atrocity of the sermon that happened after that, I might should have. Uh, so thankfully, there's been no power outages here today, um, and I have a much higher percentage of the Lord's words in this sermon than I did in the first one. Um, so let's look at the word of the Lord together. Um, as the events unfolded over the last week or so that led to me standing here, I thought a lot about what I was going to preach. I don't know if you know this, but filling in for the pulpit for one week out of a series is kind of an awkward situation. Because when Michael's preaching through a book, we all know where he's going, right? Like, you don't have to question what the next passage will be. It's it's whatever's next. And that's really nice in a lot of ways. One of the great things for that is no one can ever accuse you of simply cherry-picking a passage to beat them with. Because we all know weeks in advance what's going to happen. And so if you get here and the passage, you feel like the passage was just aimed at you and the sermon was all about you, that was probably the Holy Spirit, not the pastor. But when you're just a member who gets pressed into service, what do you pick? What, what passages do I go for? Do I try to find that one passage that really just uniquely gets to current events? No, most definitely not. Do I try to put my finger on that thing that all of y'all need to hear. No, I'm not going to do that either. I think that what I should talk about is what all of us need to hear every day, and that's Jesus. So today I'm going to preach about who Jesus is, not what y'all need to do, but we're going to reflect on Christ together. There's nothing more relevant that I can think of than our incomparable Lord. So let's put our eyes on him today. The more I prayed and considered what I was to preach this week, I had a lot of passages going in mind, really four passages that just kept coming over and over and over again, and I had a really hard time picking. So I'm going to use all four of them. I hope you had a good breakfast. No, it won't be that long. Uh, The anchor passage I want to use is John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. So please turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And let's pray. Father, your word is true. Your word is what we need today. I am not a fitting vessel to bring your word, but I thank you that you allow me to preach your word today, and you allow me to read your word to your people. I pray that as we engage a lot of familiar texts today, texts that many people in this room I know can quote, they know them well, they've heard them preached, I pray that you will protect us from the danger of familiarity, that we will hear your word afresh, that we will hunger and thirst for your word. May we be transformed by your word. May we hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Conform us to the image of Christ today by the power of your Spirit through your Word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's walk through this passage together. There are two main points I want to show in this passage and its companions. First, Jesus is glorious. Jesus is glorious. There are few verses in all of Scripture that portray the majesty of Christ like this passage. It teaches us a great deal about Jesus, but it is easy to get distracted by the details. And I must confess, as a historian, there is a major temptation for me to chase a lot of bunny trails. I would love to tell you all about ancient Greek traditions about the word, the logos, and all this. I would love to just chase that bunny of the councils of the church in Nicaea and Chalcedon and Constantinople, but I won't. This is not this is not a history lecture, it's not a class. It's time for us to delve into the word. All those things I think help us understand the word, but I want to just look at the word, not get distracted by the details, but let the details point us to the Lord that is talking about. So let's look at this passage and see the glorious truths contained therein. First, And I'm gonna have a very apparent outline. That's what I do. I like it. So if you like taking notes, that's great. If not, sorry. There's an outline. So first, Jesus Christ is God eternal, the second person of the Trinity. Christ is eternal. There never was a time that Jesus was not. There never was a time when Jesus was not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Of the four gospel accounts, John is unique in how he starts. Mark takes us straight to John the Baptist. It just begins, John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry, there we are. Matthew and Luke, y'all are all very familiar with, because we just spent a whole month with them, of looking at the Advent, looking at Christ's genealogy, looking at the birth narrative, and the virgin birth, all these things, the the nativity, you're very familiar with these. John, from the get-go, goes completely different. He starts all the way back before time. In the beginning was the Word. To give us this grand, glorious picture of Christ, that he did not begin, Jesus did not begin in a virgin's womb, 2,000 years ago. He never began. He has always been. He always will be. So one, Jesus Christ is God eternal, the second person of the Trinity. Second, Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Jesus is not a lesser God. He is not a man that somehow attained sonship and divinity. Our God has always existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons. I think that's confusing for us. We have to admit it's confusing for us. But Scripture reveals it's true. And we can't shy away from such truths because they're glorious and wonderful. And that is who our God is. Jesus himself said in the book of John several times he identified himself as being co-equal with the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. He also said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus Christ is God eternal. It's co-equal with the Father. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus, is Christ, Jesus Christ is God eternal, the second person in the Trinity. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. And Jesus is the agent of creation and the sustainer of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all things, the Greek word is all things, were made through Him. Hearing this passage should instinctively draw your attention. When I say the words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John means for this. He means for you to hear this. When you start a book like this, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It takes us to a grand cosmic scale that Christ created everything. Everything exists for him, through him, by him. A preposition you can think of, it's about Jesus. Jesus made everything. Everything exists through him and for him. Not only is he the agent of creation and the sustainer of all things, when you think about what that means to be a sustainer, there is not a heartbeat that you have that does not come from the Lord. My youth pastor when I was growing up always would say this, and I always kind of, the way he emphasized, it kind of creeped me out, but he was like, Do you have any idea how miserable your life would be if God turned off the blink button? If you couldn't blink, if all of a sudden God didn't allow you to unconsciously blink all the time? I mean, we think about all the little things that go on in our lives where God is sustaining us, and scripture tells us that that is Jesus sustaining us. So Jesus is the agent of creation and the sustainer of all things. Jesus Christ is light and life. These are words we see over and over again in the book of John. I encourage you sometime to read the book of John uh, in, a, in a sitting, in a sitting or two. Just read it through and look for light. Look for life. Look at these words. Every major theme that John is going to use throughout the Gospel of John, he picks up in this first chapter. That Jesus is light and life. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6 of Jesus, he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus is completely and utterly holy. When we talk about his light, light reveals truth. Light is, a, is an image for his holiness. We cannot look at him in his glory. We can't even look at the sun. We can't look at the sun without squinting or without going blind and Christ's glory is so great, his light is so great, that we would perish if we were to see it. We have a much better chance of surviving on the surface of the sun than looking at Christ's glory with our sins unatoned. Yet, that light, this unapproachable light, this absolutely holy being, when Isaiah sees the Lord and says, woe to me for I am undone, That light, that Holy One, that source of all life, that source of all goodness, who is incomparably good, who is the measure of all goodness, that light which would burn us in an instant, that consuming fire took on flesh and veiled himself. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is glorious. He is amazing. He is worthy of all of our praise, and we can so easily forget how wonderful he is. And so I want us to look at these passages and to just reflect on who he is, how good he is, and how amazed we should be by him. Another passage I want to read, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and listen for the same language. Two different authors, two different people that love the Lord. Jesus is gentle. Let's look at John 1, 9 through 18, the second half of our passage. The true light, that light, that unquenchable fire, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus Christ, God eternal, maker of all things, the sum of all holiness and the sustainer of life, became human. He became a man. He became fragile. To echo with the psalmist, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Christ came in humility. Philippians 2. Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count a quality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we, I love that passage, and when we take that passage in relation to John 1 and Colossians 1, when we paint and look at the utmost glory of Christ, then the humiliation of becoming human becomes all the more real to us. Jesus was gentle. Jesus is gentle. One, Jesus Christ was unrecognized by his own creation. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The creator of all things, veiled in flesh, that God had seen and missed. Not only by the world at large, but too, Jesus Christ was rejected by his own people verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The God of the universe who called out a people, who made a people, who called Abraham out of Ur and called Isaac and Jacob and his children, made a people for himself of all the peoples in the world. Christ came to his people and was rejected. But Jesus Christ formed a new people, of those who believe. Rather than reveal himself in wrath and demand submission, he could have come, unveiled his glory, and won complete submission in fear and trembling. Rather than reveal himself in wrath, Christ drew the outcast to himself. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ's kingdom is not a bloodline. Christ's kingdom is not ancestry. You can't earn it by your family. I don't care how holy your grandma was. We are only saved by cherishing Christ. That is his people. A people who believe in his name. And that is glorious. I'm really glad for that, because I'm a Gentile. (laughs) It's a great joy that I can know the Lord, that the Lord of all creation would become human like me, weak like me, yet without sin. So what grace and mercy that the Lord of all creation, who revealed himself to a chosen people, took on our human form and opened the kingdom to all who will believe. And here, with joy, the same author, John, writing in 1 John, writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So Jesus is gentle. Even though Jesus was unrecognized by his creation, and even though he was rejected by his own people, Jesus formed a new people for those who, of those who believe. And Jesus Christ came to reveal the fullness of his grace and truth. Verse 14 The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is that of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We translate it dwelt among us. It literally means tabernacled, but I never use that as a verb in my life, so I think it's good that we use dwelt among us. But anybody who heard this would know immediately, tabernacled with us. The word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Think back of when God called his people out of Egypt. What was the visible manifestation of his mercy and goodness and presence? It was the tabernacle. They could look and see our God is with us and our God is for us. The same cloud that held back Pharaoh and his army is in the midst of our camp. The Lord is with us. And then Jesus takes that language even more so. He comes, John says he tabernacled with us. Jesus himself says that he is the temple. Tear down this temple, in three days I will will rebuild it. He's crucified, and he raises from the dead in the same body three days later. And then he does one better. Not only is he the temple, not only is he the presence of the Lord, he makes us his temple. He makes his people. All those who believe, we get to have the Holy Spirit in us. We get to be the temple. We get to be God's representatives. No longer is God in a tabernacle that we look at. No longer is he in embodied one man walking around. God is present in all those who believe, all those who trust in him. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He came to reveal grace and truth to us. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal his heart to us. He didn't just come to judge. He could have. He could have come and shown his glory and all would have bowed. And he will one day. One day he will return that way, fully unveiled, his light shining for all to see and it will be terrifying for those who do not know him. But he came in gentleness and meekness. There's one place in the Gospels where Jesus explains his heart and says, this is what I'm like. Only one that I know of. That's what other people have said in books, so I'm going to trust them too. Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus veiled his glory and stepped into darkness to rescue the hurting. He demonstrated his eternal holiness and purity in a human body like ours. He reached out to touch a leper, to heal him. Christ's cleanness overpowered uncleanness, and a man who hadn't felt the tender touch of another human being for ages was healed by the physical hand of his creator. Jesus is gentle. As religious leaders of Jesus' chosen people led people as they groped in blindness themselves and as they led people into pits, Jesus, the light of the world, gave sight to humble, blind beggars, people that were believed to have been cursed from birth, received their sight from the creator of all things seen and unseen. The woman at the well who had tried to quench her deepest longings and thirst in relationship after disappointing relationship received living water from the Son of Man. And one day, all those who cherish Christ will know the tender touch of their Creator and Savior, as he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is glorious, and Jesus is gentle, are wonderful, wonderful truths that we need to meditate on. So what, what do we do now? I just told you a lot about Jesus. The sermons are supposed to tell you what to do, too, right? So we'll do that a little bit. How do we apply this in our own lives? One, take your burdens to Christ. Really simple. Take your burdens to Christ. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is a a great ironic statement. A yoke is something that weighs down your shoulders and puts you to work. And Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you a yoke that will lift you up. We are all burdened. We all have burdens around us, burdens in us. And Christ knows. Not only does he know, he cares. He cares. Jesus is great and glorious. He's light and life. He's the sustainer of all things. He is in heaven, gloriously dwelling in unapproachable light. Yet he knows you, and he cares about you. He cares about your fears, your concerns, your pains. Take them to him. His old hymn says, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide us till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. A lot of truth in that. So one, take your burdens to Christ. Two, meditate on Christ's greatness. Go and pour over these passages. Look at John 1. Read John 1. Read Colossians 1. Read Philippians 2 and just meditate on them and think who Jesus is and how glorious and wonderful and great he is. First John tells us, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So meditate on the Lord's greatness. As you hope in him, as you meditate on him, he purifies you as he is pure. The more we look at Christ, the more we dwell on him, who he is, his glory, the more we forget about our own concerns. If we're looking at Jesus, we can't be looking at ourselves. It's The other hymn, on the music, I'm going to keep referencing hymns. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful gaze, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is something, this is a word I have needed over and over and over again recently. That as I am anxious and I am stressed and there's so much weighing on me, it's because I've forgotten Jesus. And when I can stop and just praise him, and stop and just think on him, and meditate on him, and, and pray prayers of gratitude, those burdens are still there, but they're a lot less scary, they're a lot more manageable. And I can look back on them in the weeks after and say, the Lord brought me through that, because he was sovereign over it the whole time. I was the one freaking out. He never freaked out at all. So one, take your burdens to Christ. Two, meditate on Christ's greatness. And three, praise him and praise him to others. Praise the Lord. How, much, how many of our prayers are just, Lord, help me with this, help me with that. Oh, I want this. Please heal this person. Please get rid of this virus. I think those are all really good things to pray. But we should also just meditate on the Lord's goodness and praise him for it. Lord, you are eternal. You do not change, so I know I can trust your word. And just keep reminding yourself of of His greatness, His glory. Pray, Pray to Him. Sing to Him. Who cares if you can sing or not? Sing to Him. We're called to. Scripture tells us to sing to the Lord, so let's obey it. Let's do it. And then praise Him to others. This is what evangelism is. Evangelism is praising God to other people. So praise Him to others. Make it your regular part of your life to not just Seek out those. I have to have this certain formulaic conversation with people to tell them about Jesus. Praise Jesus to everybody. I need to hear you praise Jesus. Just as much as the lost person does, right? This is what the body is. When we praise the Lord together, we praise the Lord to each other. Tell each other what the Lord is doing in your heart, what the Lord has done in your life, how the Lord has brought you through the pain. Because there's always someone hurting, there's always someone with burdens to bear. And when Christ said, come to me, and I will lift your burdens. A big part of what, how he does that is through his church. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others. And so if the Lord has brought you through something, share it. Encourage one another. We're in a weird time. You have been talked at for the past 30 minutes by the music guy because we're in a weird time. But the Lord is good, and the Lord is faithful, and his word is true. And I hope that I can encourage us all to just rejoice in him. So let's, let's pray together, and Jeff's going to come up and lead us in singing. Lord Jesus, you are magnificent. I cannot begin to tell of your glory, to tell of what you've done in my life, to tell of what you've done in my family's life, to tell what you've done in this church. But Lord, I pray that you would give me the opportunity to continue praising you. Thank you for every man and woman in here. Thank you for all the words of encouragement I have received this week and this morning, all the people that have been praying for me and for this body. I rejoice that you have called me into a body of believers that love you and that model how to love you. May we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God today. May we rejoice in you above all else. There are real problems out there, and we all have real burdens, and I don't want to minimize that at all, but I thank you that you invite us to come to you and that you won't add more burdens to us, that your burden, in fact, takes ours away. You are great and glorious, and we praise your holy name. Amen.